Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us today. And again, have a fabulous guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast. She is a speaker, a trainer, an author. There's a lot of things that this lady does. And you're going to get to hear her story today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. It's my friend, Pianca Jane, joining me this morning. On the, I shouldn't say this morning. What am I saying? Joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You just never know, folks. I mean, we we don't apologize for mistakes. And like Bob Ross says, they're happy accidents. So, Pianca, thank you for joining me today. I am sorry that I totally fouled up that introduction. How are you? I am doing well, and I'm so uh, excited to be here today with you to talk and, and, uh, and hopefully encourage uh, other folks. You have a remarkable story, and you and I spent some time together before this podcast talking and things like that. You have a remarkable story. You have done a lot of things in your life. You've taught yoga. You've done tons of different things. In this climate that we're in now mm-hmm. with, with things, and, and here's where I want to start. Is there a particular skill that you have taught, coached, um, trained, that you're calling on from a previous thing that you've done? Maybe not something you're doing now, but something you've done previously. Is there a skill that you're calling on from your past that's helped you in the midst of this pandemic situation that we're in? Um, well, I might not call it skill as much, Brian, as much as, uh, as, much as focus. I'm a lifetime learner. And, and these very interesting times, um, I have taken to a lot of learning as a way, it's a refuge for me. Uh, it's also a way in which to focus on positivity because as in, if, you, if you're connected with the news, there's just so much negativity, there's so much sort of unknown and how do you rest in unknown? And mm-hmm. the way to rest in unknown uh, is basically being, being here, being now, Mm-hmm. Uh, and and learning and firing new. If you if 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 you have angst and if you have anxiety and if you don't know what the future holds for you, uh, the way to do this uh, or way to survive, at least the way I'm surviving, is by by learning. And I think many people are doing that. So that that would be what I would say for folks who are sort of finding this uh, little uh, hard time to be. You wrote a book a few years back, and I, I wanted to dive into that, and, and it's called Behind Every Good Decision. And, and uh-huh. people are talking about, we, we see so many of our elected leaders, and I want to go here for just a second because you talked about positivity, and I, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with that. But it appears as though leaders in different states, and, and we've questioned here in the state that I live in, We've questioned the decision-making of the leaders in our state and local governments because, again, we were not hit with COVID like other states were hit with COVID. So every decision-maker, their, their decisions are being questioned. When you look at, and I want to draw from the experience in your book that you talk about because I love that behind every good decision, 
in some cases, we're not seeing good decisions made. What do you think contributes to decision-making in times like this to, to say, well, is it a good decision? Because now we have the lens of hindsight, right? We have the lens of, you know, maybe in some places it wasn't as bad as initially thought, and in some places it was worse than yeah. initially thought. So what do you think, what do you think in times like these – are the key tenets to making those good decisions going forward. Yeah. Well, and, and Brian, I'm here in California, so I can't say we are, <laughs> we are looking behind, really. We yeah. are still looking ahead and looking behind. Uh, but, and, and, and uh, just a side note, I mean, there's by, there's by no way, by no means uh, I have any expertise in epidemiology, right? So there's no, I don't. I wouldn't claim we can look at data. We have. We have. I have good understanding of how to look at data, but I have no understanding of epidemiology and how this well, disease is spread and so on. Right. And Pianka, I think I. I love what you just said there because I think people were looking at data, to your point about looking at data. And 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 I can see. And I, I want I want you to answer your question here, but I want to I want to kind of reframe it if you allow me to reframe the question. Sure. I think people were looking at data and making the best decision they could just on data. But again, when we just focus on data, a lot of times there's good data and there's bad data. I've looked at data and I've, I've looked at it and on the surface, like, wait a minute, I, I know that this doesn't look good because there are other factors here. Yeah. In leadership, and here's where I'm ultimately going with this, Pianca, and forgive me for kind of redirecting and reframing. I think there are sometimes when people look at data and the first thing that comes to their heart and mind is, oh no, this is not good. And they make decisions with a, oh no, very, a fearful spectrum and things like that. When we see data that's not good, what should our first thought process be around that data in making a good decision? Uh, and that's a different question, Brian. So I would say... Well, I was trying to get to a good question. My mind wanted to ask a good question. My mind no, was getting there. And, and you know, Bianca, a lot of times when you get to be, when you, when you push 50 like I am, a lot of times it starts out well when it gets here, and then by the time it gets here, it just kind of gets a little muddled. So I apologize for no, asking no, you're, you a different question. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. So the, so the, so the, so the second question, and, and the answer might be surprising for you or not something you're expecting, but I would say when we, when the way we approach, at least in the world of business, and I yes. think this is widely applicable, you know, data doesn't speak it responds. And many people expect that data to start speaking. And then you, you know, if you look at data, you have a high uh, probability of, if you look at data without context, without understanding the real question, the hypotheses and so on behind it, you have a pretty high chance of misreading data. So that's something. And, and for you to, for somebody to read data well, uh, they need to have a good, they need to have good data literacy. They need to have some good understanding because, because even us, you know, for example, we go into our client engagement and one of the pet peeves of the clients 
are like we have thousands of dashboards but we don't know what to do with it like we don't know how to make decisions based on that and part of what's happening with that is essentially there's data doesn't speak you you, you know you can scare stare at the data all you like thousands of dashboards excel sheet whatever else uh you know covid 19 trend doesn't matter it doesn't speak uh mm-hmm. and so the narrative around it or why what's happening is is driven by or should be driven by good understanding of what the problem is and what is it that you're trying to understand from it what are your hypotheses from it you almost need to frame those things before you look at data because for example i'll give you one again covid related example initially when when you know covid hit us you know the numbers kept going up and up and up but if you actually zoomed in and if you looked at how many tests were being done and how many of them were coming out positive it was completely correlated mm-hmm. which basically should tell somebody that 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 there's more covid out there positive out there right. than the, and it's a function of testing more we are testing more we are finding that means the numbers are definitely underrepresented there probably mm-hmm. is a lot more five times 10 times more already in the community by the time yeah. we start testing it right so yeah. you you won't know that unless you frame it properly and you look for the right metric if you just looked at and many times many people i still see some charts right now where they're showing numbers like um california numbers and you they're comparing it against across states california is a big state you can't compare just the absolute number and yes. if you keep doing that you're going to tell a misleading narrative which is yes. sort of what is happening and it doesn't mean that the, the trend you know you still can look at the trend but these are the things that people who don't if you can paint any story with the data as it stand yes. now unless yes. you know what you're doing you won't frame it right and when i you know when i was having a discussion with one of our friends and and they had posted it on facebook and i said well california is a popular state you would know right yeah. and and you know so and then that they start thinking oh right because these are absolute numbers they're not doing it per capita i'm like yeah but people don't think about it at the at the at the at the you know face value of it you take what is being fed to you right and it's not it's yeah. not useful well we're a, we are such a soundbite and snapshot snapshot society yeah that yeah. that most people have conditioned themselves pianka just to take snippets of data and make complex decisions it and take small portions of it i love what you said there data responds it responds it it is something that the more you get the clearer the picture becomes data if you allow data to be very myopic it can be but you're only going to get this portion of a picture and i'm i'm for for those listening on on audio I'm taking my hands and putting them to the side of my face so that I'm getting a very yeah I'm putting up blinders and yeah. data can do the same thing. I guess my ultimate point is I feel like and and I felt like that there were il- some of our elected leaders that just took a portion of data and said, "Oh my word. This is bad. This is horrible." instead of digesting it and allowing your natural leadership abilities to come through and, and and really leading proactively unlike what you were saying instead of reactively 
to the response of the data. I love what you said there. That is so, so powerful. Brad, I yeah. think one thing I want to add is that there, there in general, there is the data literacy, how literate you need to be at your current role, whether you're in the leadership role in the, as a governor or that as, is a, such as a, a great president, point, as, a, as a whatever, right? Data literacy is not as high as you would think. Although we all think now that we had looked at charts and tables and COVID brought around that transformation that we all want to look at charts and we talk about flattening the curve. Very, very few people really are at the light, right level of data literacy for where, what the jobs they are serving. So I think it's, uh, uh, you know, that whether the decision was right or wrong uh, and, and so on, there's, I think the, the, there's still the jury's out on that. But, but how do you go about doing this forward planning? How do you, how, yes. how do these decision policymakers, decision, you know, decision makers, how do they come about? They have a lot of context. They have a lot yes. of understanding, tribal knowledge. They have a lot of understanding of how things work in the government, in the public system. And I would say that, you know, this, this was such an, such an unprecedented time and many people were under so much pressure and that they were in the middle of this and they were yes. ready to make decisions. I mean, that by itself is a huge task. So kudos to them. However, if they had the data literacy skill as well, at the right level, they don't need to be data scientists. They don't need to be epidemiologists. But if they have the right skills, they can engage the right people to come to a better solution, potentially. I mean, this is still unprecedented. You don't have a history of it. So it's very hard to make deci optimal decisions based on history. But I would say that one thing that I take out from here is that that overall data literacy, especially for those who are in the public sector, mm -hmm. those who make such large scale decisions, which impacts the livelihood of so many people, yes. if they have the right level of data literacy uh, or they develop that, I mean, hopefully they'll start developing it. Yes. That yes. will help us tremendously because then they can actually make good decisions, more likely to make good decisions because it's based on data. That is so powerful because, again, you, you have hit on something very brilliant, Pianca. And the fact of the matter is, is that our society as a whole, whether you're talking about sales or, or, or consumerism or, or whatever you're talking about, we have become artificially intelligent by this. Yeah. And, and we feel like as a society that all the answers we will ever need are found by Google. You know, who would have thought a company would become a verb? Google. You know, let's Google this. And so we become an artificially intelligent society and we really don't understand at times. And, and that's a brilliant point that you made, Bianca. We don't understand sometimes that we do need to be literate just as we read and understand the English language here in the United States or whatever language you're literate in. You have to not only be able to read it and understand it, but interpret it as well yeah yeah and and i think uh, especially in this country we are both in us here especially in this country i think the focus on stem needs to be bigger that people really understand the science people really understand the 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 data and the, they start understanding hypotheses they are start understanding yes uh, sort of uh, framing the problem and you don't really again I, it's not rocket science it's systematic so true some, so you know, true some basic skills but you would be more better served i think people are more opinionated than mm -hmm. uh, informed, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, and I want to go back just for a moment before we pivot. I want to go back to, to the, the genesis behind your book, because even though your book was written several years ago, Behind Every Good Decision, I think it is so relevant today because decision-making 
we have seen the impacts of good decision making personally, globally, wherever you want to want to do it. And, and we, we, we've seen it at a micro level and we've seen it at a macro level, the power of good decision making and then the power of poor decision making. What is the biggest obstacle that stands in someone's way in making a good decision? Uh, there, there are many, many obstacles, Brian. I mean, there's, there's the assumption of good data. Like, so the data maturity, you know, you need to have good data. If you don't have, make good, have good data and you're still trusting the data you have in front of you, you haven't necessarily made sure it's, a, it's, it's good data. So you <laughs> have to have the right picture. Is that what you're saying? You have to you have, have, the, to have the, the right the, picture. Yeah, you have to have the right underlying foundation, right picture, as you say. And then you need to have curiosity and be not so sure about, you know, I know it all. Many, many, I think that's what I was saying. You know, people are very opinionated, but they're very less informed. Many people think they already know it all. Like they see something, they already make their conclusion and they use then data to back construct whatever they that want to so say. That is so true, Bianca. And that, that so doesn't true. help because it, unless you're curious and unless you're humble that, hey, I could be wrong. Let's just right. figure out what this is saying. I don't, I don't, I think, especially in US and at least especially in these social media, I see just so much opinions floating around, but not that sort of really humane and humble curiosity, like really what's going on. And uh, I want to learn, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's sort of, sort of so much missing. And then of course, then top of that, there's, there's the ability to, um, uh, you know, look at and formulate uh, that question, those hypotheses and the ability to look at data and to make surmise in a proper way. You know, that's data literacy. That's also right. sort of missing. So, you know, those are probably the broadest area. But I would say that curiosity kills. Mm -hmm. You know, curiosity is killing us. If they don't have a lack of curiosity is killing us because we just, we are just, we are all thinking we, we, we know it all. We right. are all tending to be epidemiologists. Are we all tending to, I mean. Yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. And I've got to ask you this before we pivot. I want to get into your story, but this is, this question is burning right now off of what you just said. How hard is it for, and you work with leaders in business all, all over the world. You work with, with leaders that are using data and things like that to make decisions. But how hard is it for leaders today to have those difficult internal conversations with themselves around the picture that they're seeing? Because yeah. it, feels, it feels to me as though the, the one thing that stands in our way a lot of times in making good decisions is that we're not able to have those hard, difficult conversations internally before yeah. it comes out externally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and what you're alluding to is one of the four Ds we talk about as, you know, and as organizations build a culture of data, one of the pivotal four Ds, we talked about data maturity, which is good data and all of that. The second one is data-driven executives. So if the executives are not data-driven, they're not necessarily having curiosity. They don't have doubts in their mind about, do I really understand what drives growth for me? What, mm -hmm. what do I understand my customer? If they don't have doubts, and if they don't have curiosity and if they are not looking to data to actually hopefully, uh, you know, prove or disprove their ideas or hypotheses about business, uh, then we are in trouble. However, mm -hmm. the good news is COVID-19 hit. And I don't know, you might have seen that meme where, which talks about who brought in the digital transformation for this, my organization, mm -hmm. the CEO, the CTO, and then 
COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. COVID-19 so, COVID is running a lot more businesses than, than any CEO thought about doing. Right. That, I mean, that's another thing, you know, the innovation which is coming about. But but the point being that really, I mean, and so many, you've probably seen, Brian, in the, in the news, so many retailers have already filed for bankruptcy. Yes. I mean, those who were not managing their business well, their margins were small, their mar margins are wiped out. Now, those who have had yes. fat margins, they have slim margins still. You know, the revenue yes. has come down, the cost has sort of stayed up or whatever else. Your margins are low. So the organizations now are using this because you, 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 if you have, if your margins are small, you're going to operate, you have to operate with small cash flow. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not talking about apples of the world, but most organizations, right? They right. they need to they need to make sure that every decision of theirs is optimized, or or more likely than optimized. They can't just do hundred things and hope ten will stick, because yep. those hundred the budget to do hundred things is gone. Now yep. they can do probably twenty things and hopefully ten needs to stick. So your probability that your your bets have to be better, and the only yep. way for the bets to be better is if not only the executives are data driven, but every individual decision maker who's spending their, you know, 100,000 budget or a 50,000 mm -hmm. budget or a 300,000 budget or the $3 million budget, they need to be optimized. What are the 10 things they need to do to find the best bets? Uh, well, and so well, it seems like Amazon was already primed for that because again, they were, they were ahead of the curve in getting this vast array of, of products, because if you look at their symbol, it's from A to Z. You know, we, we, can, we can supply anything. Yeah. And, and this pandemic just played right into their wheelhouse. Yeah. Be, because now they were like, well, okay, well, no one, no one can go anywhere. You don't need to go anywhere. What you've been doing already, you can continue to do because we, we're Amazon and we can they 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 showed me the epitome of of like it doesn't matter what the business climate is they're going to be just fine because yeah. they figured well, it out well the the wind also blew in that their direction so all of the all of the retailers are or face to face or a mom and, mom and pop shop the retailers restaurants they sort of gave their revenue up to these big, huge online retailers. Be I love what you said there. The wind blew in their direction. I love that. That is so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they took the advantage. But I mean, even regardless, if you look at Amazon, look at their recommendation system, look at how they are, you know, upselling, cross-selling. I mean, the, this company is data-driven, and and uh, you know why? This is this is one of the most digital elite companies out there. Right? Oh, they know everything. Yeah. They know they know their data like the back of their hand, Bianca. They know it right. so well. They they yeah. and not only do they know it, they allow their data that has been proven. They know their data is good, and so they use it to drive their decision making process in a way that's almost foolproof because their data is so good and they know it inside and out to your point a few minutes ago about data literacy they are so competent they have a phd in data literacy they know yes. it so they know it so well yeah and they 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 have you know a lot of companies and and i wanted to take the conversation in a different direction but i've got to park here for just a second a lot of companies and and i live in west virginia so if you're watching this video i'm i'm going to give you a video illustration so years ago people that planted crops 
that wanted to know what rain, when rain was coming, they would do this. They would lick their finger and they would stick it in the air. And, and that's the way that they could project and kind of predict what was going to happen. And of course, now we don't have to do that. Our, our weather forecasting is really good. It's gotten to be phenomenal. But Amazon and companies like Amazon just continually looked and saw and felt to some degree. And they said, okay, where's the wind blowing? Mm-hmm. And, if, and if we're there already, we know how to go in that direction. Yeah. And in many cases, Pianca, it seems to me that not only did they know where the wind was blowing, but they knew where it was going to blow. They knew the speed. They knew the direction. And they already had a plan, a forecast for how they were going to react to it. It's beautiful. I mean, it's just so brilliant. And these other companies had to react and go, oh, my goodness, how are we going to survive? How are we going to thrive? I've got to ask you this. Yep. Everyone has a story that, that gets them from point A to point B. And that's what we want to do here on the Intentional Encourager podcast is tell those those stories Pianca I I want you to tell your story how you got from point a to point b how you got from where you were to where you are now and take us through that how much time you got (laughs) well uh you know we we may have to we may have to schedule a second intentional encourager podcast but um but again I I think it I think it's a part of everybody's journey I know yeah Yeah. so yeah yeah. so So, so, so tell me your story I'll pick pick some important things from my life. I would say growing up, um, growing up, I knew I had skills in math because, uh, you know, I was in like, I would be in sixth, seventh, eighth grade and I was solving problems uh, from 10th graders uh, and I was solving theorems and proving them instead of using them. So there was a lot of those things happening and my math teacher was sort of always proud and showcasing me. So I knew there was that, that right? There was there was that aspect of me. I loved math. Uh, my dad was an engineer. So there was, mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely affinity to that. Some of that was there. And then at some point during my bachelor's, um, I went and did engineering, uh, civil engineering. And during my bachelor's, I started working with my dad and he was, he was a true inventor and pioneer in waste to energy field in India. Uh, and so he would work on some of these really, really, you know, out of the out of the space kind of research stuff and he would be like talking about that so excitedly and when i would listen to him often and he would be talking about you know presenting in this this conference and that conference and i would ask him so so what does this enable us like what, what so what so what mm-hmm. and and that's where sort of you know I, I realized that i'm also a so what person i'm 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 i love math but i'm not theoretical for me it's all applied so what is very important? What are you going to do with this now that you have this technology, now that you have this invention, now that you have this, what do you, so what, what, what impact would it drive? And so there's a little bit of understanding I understood having, regardless, I actually came and uh, came to us on a PhD track. Um, and I started doing my work in environmental engineering, a lot of, and I gravitated again towards math and quantitative uh, methods. And I was looking at radioactive spills and, and predicting radioactive spills, speciation, what was originally on the site and so on. And then uh, I realized, oh, I, I don't know enough in this subject. So then I, you know, so after my first master's, I stopped track on PhD and I went to do my PhD in, uh, in computer science and AI at that point. I'm, I'm 
couple of decades ago right mm-hmm. and and i realized again when i was and i was working with one of the one of the uh, leading uh, leading uh, ai uh, professors dr maria jini at university of minnesota and and i was talking and i was working in, on on that and then realized wait i am really a so what person so i uh, you know i love i love understanding the optimizations and the theories and so on mm-hmm. but really as if i can't apply it and apply it right away i get really impatient and so with due respect i told uh, dr jeni i'll i i need to stop after masters and she was so disappointed but i told her that the, my truth is the so what so the yeah. so what has to come anyways i i you know i i graduate with my computer engineering degree and i and i come out and i i'm doing my my developer job and i realized oh actually i love coding but i'm not suited for develop, developer job because it's dry yeah. i'm just using one part of my brain and i'm not using the creative side of my brain uh, and it's just it's not satisfying so i did i i did several coding jobs web developer and then core core infrastructure developer development and so on and uh, and you know and then i kept i kept quitting and my family would be like oh god like do you really know what you're doing you've two masters you're doing jobs and you're keep quitting them and they are high paying jobs what's wrong with you right and i just said i i don't have it i don't i i i have to feel excited about what what's this this is not doing it for yes. me and i got that from my dad i think you know cuz he was always excited about his job his for him his whole passion was waste to energy creating energy out of nothing was just his passion and so for me i was like i have to live my passion this is just not doing it and and it was sort of hard because when you don't know and then people are surrounding around you like clearly you are clueless you're so hyper qualified and then you're yeah what do you want to do yeah what 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 is it ultimately that you want to do pianka yeah exactly yeah, yeah and i was you know i remember i was i was in arizona and i was bumming i mean i i finished my masters and i'm bumming around I'm actually doing pottery so for 6 months or something like 4 to 6 months i actually did I got really good at pottery after my That's two, awesome. That's really good. Last, yeah. Yeah, I for two masters degree I'm like sitting here from morning you know the 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 pottery studio guy he gave me I mean the owner he gave me the keys because I would be the first one in. So I would open the studio for him. I would be at, on those wheels throwing from morning till evening. I don't know. And my family was like what's going on with you? How can you how can you keep going in such extremes? But what was that, that was pointing to me was I needed the satisfaction of my creative expression as well. So that all of that happened and then I also st- founded a company. I, I did some coding job like I said I didn't find satisfaction. I was not, then in Bay Area. By that time I had reached Bay Area, Bay Area, California. Mm-hmm. And then I did uh some uh you know coding job didn't work and then i started a uh, out of box media a media company out of the blue which was putting ads on pizza boxes and chinese boxes and it was really cool a lot of fun very hard operationally a little bit ahead of its time and uh, you know after a year or so of running that uh, i sort of uh, folded that but i had a lot of fun doing that i had a lot of learning i didn't make any money but it was it was good fun so it was my mini mba i would say this was mm-hmm. my third mba yep. <laughs> without paying for it and then i i was just scrolling through the job list and i was like at that point i was just like oh god i'll just take any job because i clearly don't know what i'm doing you know and i was just scrolling through i was interviewing for product manager job still some developer job kind of like not 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 really willingly but like okay at least i should get a job and then i was scrolling through craigslist and i found this job at adobe of senior analyst i read the description and my entire every every you know cell of my body said yes 
yes this is me because it talked about solving problems it had a significant understanding of like you know understanding of business like the it was part of advertising and marketing so a lot mm-hmm. of creative aspect to it and it was going to use my data you know that that time analytics now data science background which is quantitative and math algorithm going to tap I into what you what you really what you really liked yeah i mean i didn't know that time <laughs> <laughs> so i was so excited about this job i um I I made my resume I show up for this interview and I am so excited that I'm like I this is this is like my dream come true I'm I'm interviewing and and the uh, and the hiring manager um uh, he uh, Jackson is his name he was he like he was interviewing me and he sort of after the interviews after all of those interviews he made me an offer right after the interviews on the spot saying uh i can't believe i'm getting somebody like you and i'm like oh i can't believe i'm getting to i'm going to do something like this you know so it was just like unbelievable and from 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 there basically my data science analytics journey sort of started and 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 so it took me a while so the the, the long and short of this is i knew some aspects of who, who i am yeah. but i didn't really know what and then analytics was not even known at that point as as a as a career mm-hmm. and I did not know what is it that I was looking for but I was not willing to put up with just average and say oh I'm not liking this but I'll still stay and let us persevere through it it just was not me. So let and me ask you this. It. So let me ask you this as you're going through this journey and and I think in life Pianka and that's what's so beautiful about life is you can be from from the Bay Area coming from India and I can be in in Appalachia in West Virginia but things connect us mm-hmm. things connect you you know i i i had a similar journey i've kind of taken the the winding path to where i've gotten to today mm-hmm. my question to you is this what was the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome in the midst of that journey and what lesson did you learn from it I think in a way the biggest obstacle is yourself and and then the belief in and confidence in yourself especially because you know people question they don't understand they're not the inside of they are not in the inside of your heart and your mind and they don't understand what you're doing you also don't understand what you're doing but if you what helped me was that belief that I'm getting ready to be ready that I'm re- I'm getting ready for something something is coming I don't fully understand it and resting with the unknown and that 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 there's a lot of fear i mean most people have a lot of fear i also have fear of of you know of unknown right like what's going to come like what am i doing why am i quitting you know um i joined google pre ipo and i quit so it's it's crazy that you would do some things like that which does not make sense from the social from the when you look outside in view but holding steady in your inside saying this does not feel good and trusting that gut trusting that inside uh and knowing that you're on the path because like you you when one never knows where we are headed to we have to sometimes take a take a left turn and sometimes take a right turn and it's not wasted because all of those experiences add to our understanding of the fabric that we are creating what do we want it, it refines us for example like you know i i tell a lot of my my cousins back home um when they because in india there was an arranged there's still a lot of arranged marriage and i was I had, i had a similar experience and i tell them um you know date a lot uh, go out with a lot of people because in that sifting and sorting in that go- going and experiencing every time you are with a person you learn a lot about yourself and what you want 
and it, it doesn't work out, that's fine. And so the next true. person you learn a little bit more. It's the same thing in life. If, if we can experience things, you know, one job, I did one coding job, then I joined Google and then I, you know, all of that, it all added to my own understanding of who I am and what do I like? This aspect I like, that aspect I like. And be, be courageous to say, to, to, to live your own truth, to say, yeah, this is not feeling good. I'm going to quit or I'm going to look for an alternate uh, to have to have that courage and know that universe has you that you will you will find it even if you don't have it right now you will find it but you just have to try 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 different things and it's not wasted you're building building skills building understanding uh you know building diversity in your own mind mm-hmm. to, towards that you know getting ready for that next thing that will be your dream come true that is so good I, we we could talk for hours, but but our time is limited today. And I, I just want to thank you again for joining us on the Intentional Encourager podcast. What's your single biggest piece of encouragement for someone out there that's listening to this conversation, listening to your story and going, that's me. I, I, I'm searching for where I want to get to, or I've gone down a similar path. What piece yeah. of intentional encouragement would you offer those folks, Bianca? I would say three practices that will serve you very well. If you aren't doing it already, uh, think about doing that. One is uh, one is meditate, whatever form it takes, whatever religion, whatever spiritual practice you have. Find a time to quieten in your mind and to to get get one-on-one with yourself and your larger self. Uh, whether it is takes the form of praying, whatever form it takes, find that time to connect to the larger self because our rational mind is a small subset of what our bigger potential is. So on a daily basis, find the time to connect. Second is uh, be, uh, have a gratitude practice, whatever it takes. Again, uh, writing, expressing, be grateful for what you have in your life because that will keep you focused on the positives of the world, positive things that are going. We all have things that we can be grateful for in our life. Whatever tragedy has hit us, whatever has happened to us, we still have things to be grateful for. If you keep focusing on that, more of those will come. And third, keep learning. Uh, when we when we stop learning, we literally die. So keep learning, keep an open mind. Doesn't matter, you can be 60 years old, you can be two years old, you can be whatever, keep learning. And and I think you'll you'll create something that, that will keep serving you. Pianca Jane, this has been so good. I, I have enjoyed it. it it's it's conversations like this, folks, that, that I really enjoy because we've covered a lot of ground and I'm so grateful for your time. Please tell folks where they can connect with you and find you on social media. Sure, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So if you find me on Bianca Jen on LinkedIn, uh, you can follow me or uh, if you have anything specific, you can connect with me and have questions. I'm also on Twitter as Analytics Queen. So you can follow me there as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and lastly, airing.com, if you have some specific needs in data science, data literacy, we have an academy as well as we have corporate work that we do. So airing is A-R-Y-N-G, airing.com. And from there you can find us, connect with us. Pianca Jane, that's P-I-Y-A-N-K-A and Jane spelled J-A-I-N. Find her on LinkedIn, as she said. Analytics Queen, I love that on Twitter <laughs> at Analytics Queen, and then also um, airing a r y n g dot com. Pianca, what a great treat it's been to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks a lot, Brian. It was a pleasure.
My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Mead. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.